Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast. All right, fascinating. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. It's a really good recap Christine just gave you of, of the conversation I had with the commissioner on TV this morning, and we'll play some of that a little bit later in this hour and go through some of the details because, you know, I've come 180 degrees on that subject, which is to say I used to think superstar movement, players demanding trades, all that stuff. I used to think that was the worst thing about the sport. I thought it would be the, the downfall of the sport. I've come completely to the other side. We'll get into that. You'll hear from Silver and you'll hear from Harden and you'll hear from Simmons a little bit later in this hour. But I want to pick up the conversation we were just having. And I'll tell you a little something about my main man, Hembo. So whoever you are, wherever you're listening to me, I'm sure there's something in your life you love. It could be a person. It could be an object. It could be an activity. I promise you, you don't love that thing any more than Hembo loves baseball. I've never met a person more obsessed with anything than Hembo is with baseball. And while he obviously is, you're very good on all the sports with all your research and stuff, that's your life, right? I mean, I... How does one even describe how much you love this sport? Well, Lizzie's right now away on a work trip. I'm going to spend the entirety of that time watching Ken Burns' baseball documentary, uh, which I've done probably 50 times in my okay, life. Okay, fair enough. Like, just because I missed the game so bad, that's, that's sort of scratching my itch right now. He loves it, and, and, and that's great. God bless you for it. It's wonderful <laughs> that you do. And that labor of love is something that has been depended upon by... The stewards of the game, I don't know how, however else you want to describe them, the people who own the teams. See, no one owns baseball. And this is true of all sports, but somehow it feels particularly relevant in baseball. And again, I lived through the 94 player strike directly. I was there. I remember covering the games that, that, that we all knew were going to be the last day and, and being at Wrigley Field and, and, and feeling that vibe. And then I was in then the world. I remember when the World Series got called off when they officially announced that's it. There will be no World Series in 1994. And then I was in spring training in Sarasota the following spring when they had like replacement players. They had guys who were off construction sites and all these people who had had minor league careers six years before. And the pressure they were trying to put on Michael Jordan to get in the middle of it and all the rest of that. And, and a judge by the name of Sonia Sotomayor, who at that time was not a household name and is now on the Supreme Court of the United States settled the case in favor of the players, and that's how it wound up, or made a judgment, excuse me, a ruling in favor of the players, and that's how the, the work stoppage ended. The owners were dead set on breaking the union, and they were going to do whatever it took. And it feels like that's what's happening here, because Buster only is telling us that the sides have not met. They're barely meeting. They're barely talking. They had a two-minute Zoom call, and that's the entirety of their conversation over the last two weeks no one thinks that's going to get this resolved so Occam's razor tells you the most obvious explanation is probably the right one they don't want to resolve it one side or the other now it's not the players who don't want to resolve it doesn't make any sense to me that the players wouldn't want to resolve it there are people 30 of them I guess or 30 families or whatever it is that own the teams they don't own the game the game belongs to all of us but they own the teams and they're going to do whatever they feel they need to to get this thing where they feel they need it to be. This is a business, and they're treating it as such. And there's a great line to jump sports in a football movie called North Dallas 40, which is a great movie in which a player bemoans when talking to the owner of his team. Every time I say it's a business, you say it's a game. And then every time I say it's a game, you say it's a business. Well, that's what's happening here. This is not a game to the owners. This is a business. 
And on some level, you can't treat them, or excuse me, you can't blame them for treating it as such. This is a business to them. They have hundreds of millions, I guess in almost every case now, billions of dollars at stake in how all this plays out. And they're going to behave accordingly. And because of the unique nature of this business, we all pay very close attention to it. And we are somewhat offended by the idea that they would not treat this as something other than a business. And I get it. Because I'm a fan, and for 20-something years now, I've tried to be, as best I can, the voice of the sports fan on the radio all across the country. Because that fan is so often taken advantage of, taken for granted, overlooked. And that's what's happening. They're counting on the fact that when they get to the end of this, and they will, that you'll come back. And if one out of every 200 don't come back, whatever it is they gained in the transaction will be worth more than that. It's a very simple business mathematical equation. They're dealing in no more and no less. That, to me, is what's happening here. Hembo, what do you think? I agree with that. Although I do, And while I think every person involved has every right to chase the almighty dollar, there is still a larger picture perspective that does need to be seen. And if we do wind up missing games this year, it's something that I would describe as a crisis. And baseball, for my money at least, has probably gone through three of those in its history. The first was the Black Sox scandal in 1919, the Throne World Series, mm-hmm. that obviously undermined our collective faith in the sport. And then Babe Ruth came along. Babe Ruth was a miracle, Greeny. We had the Great Depression in this country, and then the summer of 41 came along when Ted Williams batted 400 and Joe DiMaggio hit safely in 56 straight games. That summer was a miracle. And then we had the strike 25 years ago that you described, um, described earlier. And I said we had Cal Ripken, who broke literally an unbreakable streak and the summer of 98 when Sosa and Maguire sort of like rejuvenated the sport in a way that we had not seen since 1941. And I would describe those things as miracles. And again, if your business plan is to just hope that fans come flooding through the gates again and that something like that is waiting for you on their side, on the other side, I think that you're being foolish. Here, here's where I disagree. Those things aren't miracles. They're baseball. That's what happened. So something else like that will happen. It might take a year or two. There might be fewer people who notice it this time (laughs) because baseball doesn't occupy the place that it did when Babe Ruth came along. It it didn't kind of have the stage to itself. But that's the point. There was no pro football then. There was no pro basketball then. There was boxing, horse racing, and baseball. It'll come back. The point is it may never come back to the place that it once was, Mm -hmm. but that isn't the first priority. What I'm trying to say is that Mm -hmm. matters to you. Mm Mm-hmm. But if you were Steve Cohen or, or the Ricketts family or, or Mark Walter, who owns the Dodgers, whoever it is you are, who own a, a baseball team right now, that's not what you're thinking about. You're thinking, I can, I'm making right now $900 million, and I could make $3 billion if I make this change. I'm just making it up. And along the way, I'm going to anger some people, and they might be stay mad at me for another two or three years. Like, you're going to do it. You're just going to do it. It's almost... It, it's, what, what is the old parable about blaming, um, you know, an animal for being itself? You know, whatever it is, like the stingray. Mm-hmm. I forget what the heck it is. Doesn't matter. The point is, don't blame me for being me. You know what I mean? If, if, you, if you hired me, then don't blame me for being me. That's a terrible analogy. But the point I'm trying to make is, don't blame business people for treating their business like a business. What are you saying, Bubba? I said it's the scorpion and the frog. The scorpion and the frog. That's right. I mean, I, I could tell you the whole story, but the bottom line of it is it's a good story. 
and it is about a scorpion that needs to get from one side of a, of a little pond to the other, and there's a frog sitting there. And the scorpion says to the frog, hey, will you swim me across? And the frog says, no, I won't do that. You'll sting me and I'll die. And the scorpion says, I tell you what, if you get me across, I promise I won't sting you and die. So he gets on the frog. The frog swims across. They get to the other side. The scorpion stings the frog. And as the frog lays there dying, he says, you told me you wouldn't do that. And the scorpion says, what did you expect me to do? I'm a scorpion. And that's the point. What do you expect business people to do? This is a business. It's not something they love. It might not even be something in some cases they pay a whole lot of attention to. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. I don't know. I'm not knocking that. I'm saying they've got a business, they're running it like a business, and you have to come to terms with the fact, Mm -hmm. I'm not yelling at you, but people have to come to terms with the fact that they're going to get this thing resolved when they decide it's in their best interest to get it resolved, not because they're worried about hurting your feelings. That's fine, and you're supposed to run your business in such a way that it maximizes your output. Then the responsibility is on the commissioner and those in the commissioner's office to see the big picture here, not just to represent the owners, to get baseball back on the field because my, my buddies text me all the time asking about status updates on this thing. Do you know what they don't care about? Yeah. The competitive balance tax threshold, arbitration, uh, revenue sharing, or any of it. They just care about seeing baseball games. And so if fans like myself and you and others on the radio and on TV can sort of howl at the moon here to try and, I guess, make it obvious how urgent this is to us, well, maybe that's the 1% we can do. And even if the owners aren't acting emotionally, perhaps at least it's our responsibility to show how much we do care. That's fair. I I can't argue with what you're saying, but I guess what I'm saying is, to me, that isn't even baseball's biggest problem. Yes, Mm -hmm. of course. If they miss games, that's a major problem. Major problem. But I I think that pace of play and and all those kind of issues that we talk about all the time, Mm -hmm. the interminable pitching changes, all the different things, I actually think those are bigger problems. Me too. Those are fundamental problems with the sport. The sport goes away, comes back. Yeah, when it comes back, if it comes back better... If the game comes back in a way that is more audience-friendly, then I think that they will make back everything that they lose out on. But all these economic issues that these, that these sides are sifting through, I'm not hearing a whole lot about that stuff. I'm not hearing a whole lot about pace of play and electronic strike zones and roster implementations. I'm, all, I'm hearing a lot about money. So if, if, you, if the owners decide that you know, in order to better the game for the next CBA, we can put some of these things in place that the players are going to have to agree to, I'm all for it. But right now, all I'm reading about is economic proposals, you know, going back and forth. And that, does, that personally does me no good. No, I'm with you. It doesn't do anybody any good. Right. But it, it does them good. And it, they're counting <laughs> on the fact that we'll just come back. Right. They need to make the game better. That'll be their first priority. Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection for more than vehicles with insurance expertise to keep your company moving forward. More at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up next, Adam Silver said a really interesting thing on TV with me this morning. Can't make up my mind if I agree. You'll hear it next. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Every time I call a game, you call it a business. And every time I call a business, you call it a game. Greeny, the podcast. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do, you do, we all do, big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had, happened in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful 
for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Greeny today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Greeny, G-R-E-E-N-Y. All right, this is Greeny on ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and we had uh, the delight this morning on Get Up of having the commissioner of the NBA, Adam Silver, on the show as they head into their uh, All-Star Weekend uh, which we get off because that's uh, Turner has that. We have the all-star um, celebrity game on Friday night on ESPN, but then the Saturday and the Sunday are on TNT. So I'm going to take a few days off, but I, of course I have been knee deep in the NBA now this season more than ever before. Cause I have uh, the great privilege of being the host of the NBA show on ESPN and ABC, which I've really enjoyed. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm in the headspace of this maybe more so than I would otherwise be. So when I had Silver on this morning, we talked, of course, about the trade, the Simmons for Harden trade. And there was a time, if you've been listening to me long enough, going back to Mike and Mike, you would know that I used to think that superstars changing teams was going to be the death of this league. That LeBron going to Miami, that Dwight Howard going, I mean, it was one of the big high profile ones, Carmelo forcing his way out, all those guys doing what they did. Was going, to be the, was going to destroy the NBA. Was, well, not destroy, but was going to be a terrible thing for the league because I grew up in an era where you rooted for your team, and that was it, kind of the way it still is in football. And my dad took me to Nick Games. That was my team. I then worked in Chicago, covered the Bulls. That was the city's team, and it was unbelievable, unbelievable, the passion that the city has in that case, and in most cases, I assume, for their team, and thus their players. And I thought, well, if this guy moves here, and this guy moves there, and this guy moves there, people are going to be just disgruntled. And what I have discovered is the opposite is sort of true. And I use my son and his friends as a good barometer of this. So Stevie's 19 now, and I've told you many times, he was a basketball player all through his youth, and he loves this sport. And I, you know, I, I came to see it through his eyes a little bit, being his dad and his being a fan. And I'm telling you right now, now, part of that is that he's grown up in the New York area all of his life, and the Knicks basically, literally, his entire life have been terrible. What year was he born? It's been impossible. He was born in December of 2002. And it's been almost impossible to find a real rooting uh, to attach yourself to it. But, but that doesn't really explain it fully. Yeah, they had the one year, and that's it. He went to a playoff game, and he liked it. But, but the point is, I mean, he's been a Jet fan that entire time, too, when we've never really won anything of consequence. He, he remembers the two championship games, but he has, he has maintained passionate fandom for the Jets. In football, you do. His basketball fandom is for individuals. He roots for Steph. He roots for or against, you know, the same collection of superstars that everybody loves. Steph Curry is by far their favorite. All these kids, they love Steph. And, and, and then the other collection of guys. So why am I bringing this up? Because the trade, the long-awaited, long-rumored trade of Ben Simmons and James Harden, I think was outstanding for the NBA. You tell me if I am speaking solely from my talk show host perspective when I say 
I actually think all the speculation about it leading up was good for the NBA. I think that conversation being out there brought a ton of interest. I think it made it better, not worse. The commissioner didn't see it that way. You always hope those situations don't play out publicly. I recognize that there are going to be situations where guys are unhappy and where teams are unhappy with them. But ideally, when players want to get traded or teams are preparing to make moves, those are conversations they have confidentially with players, they have confidentially with other teams. And obviously in this case, it not only played out publicly, but it's been playing out since the season even began, particularly with Philly. So the, the, the very unique circumstance of Ben Simmons having mental health concerns or however you may judge his, the way he did that, put that aside. Obviously, that's different. But generally speaking, the fact that from the very beginning of the season, we've been waiting to see what the Sixers were going to do with Ben Simmons and how would they play and would they win and would Embiid have a great year and all that kind of stuff. And then the Nets, would it work? Would it not? Can Harden work with these guys? Then Kevin Durant gets hurt. If Kevin Durant did not get hurt, James Harden would still be on the Nets and, and they would have figured out a way to work this out. But then he's gone. He's out of the picture. He can't be there to sort of keep everything together. And then the, high, the Kyrie-Harden dynamic was just never going to work in the absence of Durant. And so that blows up. These are interesting things. Over the course of a very long regular season in which the significance of each individual game has been greatly diminished, to my, you know, I, I rue that to some degree, but I can't do anything about it. I believe these stories are actually the lifeblood of the league. They're the best thing that is going on in the league right now. Now, you tell me, am I, is that just the talk show host and me talking, or do you think fans feel that way too? I think fans feel that way too. The NBA has become a soap opera, and the most interesting thing about it is not the games. It's the player movement. In my, for my money, the Harden for uh, Simmons trade is far and away the most interesting thing that has happened during the NBA this regular season. I'm sort of judging that too by all my friends and what we talk about, but not only did it create like all sorts of stir at a time in which you know, after uh, you know, the NFL dominated for six months, the NBA season is 70% over. This is far and away the most interesting thing that has happened so far. What it has also done, potentially, is create the league's best rivalry in years. Because if the Nets and the Sixers are both good, if, both of the, if that trade hits for each team, not only the, the quality of the teams, obviously, I think sort of speaks for itself, but the animosity that those, those teams will share when they're on the floor in a potential playoff series is gold. It is far and away the best thing that could have happened to this league. And I think it makes the last 30% of the season and the postseason way more interesting than had it not happened. I agree with you. March 10th, a Thursday night in Philadelphia. You circle that on the calendar. And I remember when LeBron went back to Cleveland the first time after the decision. Remember the, all of the hoopla surrounding mm-hmm. that. I'm not sure how many regular season games have had the same kind of intensity since then, that this one will have, assuming Simmons is playing. Now, next order of business with regard to that. The Eastern Conference playoffs have the potential to be unbelievable, starting right from the beginning. Like, usually it's like, well, we got to get through the first round, and then, you know, even in the NFL this year, the first round of the playoffs mostly stunk. You had the Cowboy game that was unbelievable, and the rest of it was, let's just get rid of the Eagles and the Steelers, and let's just get down to the teams that can really play, and then it got ridiculously good best postseason ever but the nba the eastern conference is going to start that way immediately you have a minimum of six really good teams in the east assuming you count brooklyn among them (laughs) like uh, brooklyn uh, they just snapped an 11 game losing streak Uh, brooklyn has to prove they belong in that but if they have simmons back and when kd comes back they obviously will they're the favorite to win it so in no particular order brooklyn miami chicago 
Cleveland, Philadelphia, and um, there's one I'm leaving out. Milwaukee, obviously, the defending champs. Are you not counting Boston? And then, oh, by the way, the Celtics have gotten themselves red hot. That's seven. You're only going to have eight teams once you get out of the play-in round. So one more team gets in that group, and, you know, we'll see who it winds up being. And someone plays their way out of there. I mean, some of those teams are going to wind up in that play-in, mm-hmm. very possibly. So the Eastern Conference playoffs are going to be awesome and particularly interesting, to your point, because of this. If Philly and the Nets are on a collision course to play each other six or seven times in May, that, that's going to be the best thing the sport can do. If you're not interested in that, then you're not interested in basketball. It's just that simple. The people who will tweet back at me sometimes when I tweet about, oh, who cares? Well, you just don't care. You don't care about basketball. If you don't, that's fine. Not my job to tell you that you have to. But if you care about this sport, it is. It, I can't imagine a better thing that could have happened than this trade. Me, me, my, me, like I, I totally agree that what you're going to see is hopefully these teams on a collision course in the playoffs. My, my wife loves watching Bravo, like all these reality type shows. Mm-hmm. We know so much uh, what has happened behind the scenes because of such great reporting that seeing the seeing the thing actually play out on the floor is going to be riveting, even if you don't like basketball. Like my wife's going to watch because like Ben Simmons and date, uh, James Harden dated Kardashians. Like this brings in <laughs> such a wide swath of uh, sports fans that like I mean I'm a hardcore sports fan. Like that's interesting to her. It's going to be a, like, super interesting to a lot of people for whom it would not otherwise be. Yeah, the NBA players are celebrities, and it is a big reality show, and some of the reality goes beyond the court. And once it actually gets on the court, and they're all out there, and they're all playing every game, and they're all completely invested, it has a chance to be epic. Uh, I'm Greeny. We come to you live from above the Heineken River Deck at Pier 17. Coming up next, I have an enormous number, a monstrous number, that will make some people happy, and I think it's not nearly high enough. Greeny, the podcast. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! Splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So the numbers came in. They came in a little late. Usually the morning after the Super Bowl, the, the NFL or someone, the network, will breathlessly release the total number of people that watch the Super Bowl. It's always some enormous number, they think. They always think they're giving us right, Bubba. They'll always tell, oh, you're not going to believe how many people watch this game, right? They're very fond of doing that. So this year, it is described as a rebound. I guess the numbers had been a tad down by their ridiculous standards last time. 
But the story I have here in front of me says the Super Bowl rebounded to draw an estimated 101.1 million television viewers who saw the Rams win the game, proving the dominance of football as an audience magnet. 101.1 million viewers watched the Super Bowl. And to that I say, bull feathers. That's not nearly enough. How many people are there in America? About 330 million. 330 million. So 101 million out of 330 is what? What percentage is that? 30%? About about so, yeah. It's 30%. Now, what percentage of those 330 million people are infants? Like under the age of, let's say, three. 15, 20 million, maybe? 30 million? so, So you can take them out. Everyone else was watching the Super Bowl. I refuse to believe Bubba. Do you know a person? You know a lot of people. People may not know this, but Bubba is a networking guru and and has uh, multiple different. Uh, you know, because of all his his history and, and a variety of different professional endeavors, you know, you've made friends in so many different areas and in various different fields. Right, Bubba. Do you know a single person who did not watch the Super Bowl? Do you know one? I'm trying to go through the old Rolodex here. Um... I don't think I do. I think everyone I know was watching. There's not a person. Hembo, do you know a single person who was not watching the Super Bowl? Not one. Every person I know watched the Super Bowl. I watched, many, I watched the Super Bowl with many people. It, it's, it's almost impossible to me to believe that, especially with nothing else on TV at that point, because no, no, no one bothers to program anything, two in three people opted not to watch it. Two out of every three Americans didn't watch the Super Bowl? That's ridiculous. There's no way that's right. Like, however it is they're calculating this, it's just not right. There's no way that if you just line up every single person and say, step forward if you watched the Super Bowl, that only a third of them are going to. There's just not a chance of that. My mother-in-law watches the Super Bowl. She's a woman who once asked Eli Manning if he was a football fan in person when she came to a Mike and Mike remote in Miami years ago. She didn't know who Eli Manning was. She watched the Super Bowl because it's a thing you do. Because it's, it's, you're going to be missing out because everyone else is doing it. And you want to watch, as I've said a million times, you watch the commercials. People are fascinated by the commercials. You watch the halftime show. People are fascinated by the halftime show. You watch the football game. I don't mean you have to have watched every minute. But the idea that two out of every three people in America were not watching the Super Bowl just does not hold water. There's just no way in the world that's true. So I don't know what's going on in this calculation. But it's way off. Do you happen to know anybody that did not watch the Super Bowl? I know one person. And this makes the point. And you know her too. She's my assistant, Erica. So, Etchie Brandon is already laughing. He loves Etchie. So, her name is Erica Echevarria. She's been with me for 12, 11 years. I call her Etchie. She's, a, she, she's a, a, a delightful person. And... She, she came to this country when she was like 11 or 12 years old. She's, very, she's aware of things that are going on. But Sunday, we're here, right? So Sunday, we're here to do the NBA. Erica's with me. And we're here to do the NBA shows. And I say to her just at some point, where are you going after we're done? That was my way of asking. I guess I didn't use the words. Where are you planning on watching the Super Bowl? And because we're going to go our separate ways around four o'clock, I had the wings to pick up and then I was going home to eat my wings with a knife and fork. Too much hoopla, it seems to me. But anyway, I say to her, so what are you doing later? She says to me, well, I have a Zoom call at seven. I said, you have a what? 
She said, yeah, I'm on this committee. She's got a million kids. She's always doing stuff. I don't know what it is she's doing, but she's got a million committees that she's on, charities and all kinds of stuff. So I got a Zoom call at seven. I said, at seven? She said, yeah. I said, during the Super Bowl? And she said, is that today? And I thought to myself, that's the most unbelievable thing I've ever heard a person say in my entire life. How can you function? How can you be? And I then quizzed her about this for like the next 20 minutes. I had to go do a third quarter pod buster. I got to go tell people at the end of the third quarter what the score is of some other game. And I'm distracted because I am busy trying to get to the bottom of how you can be a functioning human being in our culture, in our society, just living life and not even be aware the Super Bowl was going on. Like, is that possible? Is that today is a great line. Is that, is that today? She said it. She said that to me. Is that you today? You know it, Bubba. You know it, she, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's, he, he's is a that today? Face. She's a little tiny person. She's a very small person. And she looks at me and says, oh, is that today? And I was like, yeah, yeah, it's today. What do you mean, is that today? Because I got a 7 o'clock Zoom. I don't know if I can make that. 7 o'clock Zoom. <laughs> Who, that means that other people accepted a yeah, Zoom what, what invitation because I mean. it's not like she's the CEO of a Fortune 500 company who's <laughs> making everyone do this. This is obviously at least somewhat voluntary that there were some, I tried to ask her how many people were going to be on the Zoom and she wasn't sure and she, because she's how she is, she refused to speculate. Did she schedule the Zoom or was she, was she merely a participant? She scheduled it. So she, she's in charge of this. She's in, Whatever it is, she was in charge and of it. So so when she says a seven o'clock Zoom, yeah. just to make sure, just to get this out of the way, mm-hmm. like we're sure she's not on staff for the Bengals or the Rams, mm-hmm. correct? Like she's not involved in play calling. I'm quite confident in that. You've okay. met Etchie. You know she's not on staff for the Bengals or the Rams. It's unlikely. Uh, it seems, knowing her, it seems quite unlikely. I, I'm stunned. I mean, it's one thing not to watch, which you just described. It's another to make a, 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 a very odd Sunday night Zoom. Zoom. In which other people are also participating. Other people. Presumably not watching. It's not like this, not is, a super, this is not a Super Bowl Zoom watch party. <laughs> I, I, apparently not, because she didn't even know what was going and on. Is there any reason to believe that like, she scheduled it at 7 because of like, a time zone difference? No. And she had no I, excuse. What difference could that possibly make? The, the, the Super Bowl is on the same time everywhere, no matter what time it is where you are. Right? The Super Bowl is freaking on. And there's people all over the world. There's like a billion people watching this thing. Let me ask you a question. Mm. What number did you just read me about Cincinnati? Okay, yeah, so the, the Cincinnati share... Bubba, get a load of this. This is wild to me. So the Cincinnati share is 46, meaning that 46% of households in Cincinnati had the game on, so less than half. This is the, you know, this is the Cincinnati Bengals who played in the Super Bowl. Less for the first time since 1988 mm-hmm. and had never won it, and, and, and we've all seen the... So you're telling me that they're trying to make me believe that 54% of Cincinnatians... Or, or, or however it is one that describes a person from the Queen City, half the people, let's even say that the, the other 4% are infants, right? I'm, I'm, this, I'm really, is, this is done, measured by households, not people. Okay. So the 46 share is the percentage of households that watch the game. So it's even worse. Mm-hmm. So more than one out of every two, more than half the households in Cincinnati weren't watching the Super Bowl? That's There's just no way. Bubba, am I, I right? Mean, well, and, and yeah, to Hembo's point, like we're saying, that's what the TVs are on. It's one thing to not even, okay, you're out, you got a 7 o'clock Zoom. You can, if you're literally saying half of them had the TV on, but they were watching something else, right? That's no, that's not. So that's 54% of the households weren't watching it. There's another number of people oh. who were watching something else. This is worse. I wouldn't have even known something else was on. This like is worse. Like if you said something else is on TV, could you imagine 
putting something else on during a, the Super Bowl? A lot of people did it. Greeny, Who, what in people? Cincinnati, in the city of Cincinnati, their, their market share was 84, which means that during the Super Bowl, 16% of TV watchers in Cincinnati were not watching yeah, the Super that's Bowl. that's crazy. That's insane. <laughs> 16%. That, that seems to me to be unfathomable. It's got to be, be the puppy ball, I guess. Uh, the, what, what else? I don't know. What else was on? Like, what else is it's on all tape when the Super Bowl is on? All tape programming. People are not counter-programming against the Super Bowl. <laughs> Dave Revson put up a hilarious tweet on Sunday morning, and he and I got into a funny exchange about it. Our first year at ESPN, he and I started together in the fall of 96 when they first launched ESPN News, the network ESPN News. Are you laughing at that because you saw the tweet? Yes, it was very funny. So Rever tweets that he remembers the first year we were at ESPN. So this would have been the 97 Super Bowl, January of 97. I think it was the Green Bay, New England Super Bowl. If I remember correctly, I think that was our, I remember being here for that. We're in the newsroom. He and I are on the air during the game. Like, we're actually doing a sports news and information broadcast during the Super Bowl. And every half hour, we would update the score of the Super Bowl. So we'd put a panel up. What? Of the score of the Super Bowl. Right now, it's Green Bay 17, New England 13, whatever the score was at the time. Desmond Howard just ran back a kick for a touchdown or whatever it was. And then I turned to him and I said, let's analyze what it is we're doing right now. We're putting that up there. In case there is a person watching who's interested in what's happening in the Super Bowl but can't figure out a better way to find out. <laughs> like, they can't. They're like, gee, I wonder what's happening in the Super Bowl. I think I'll put on ESPN News <laughs> and, and maybe they'll update me on what's happening in the game. And so we started joking around and laughing about that. And, and, and that night, I mean, that very night, we were watching, we were doing a show that we knew perfectly well that literally no one we're talking about was watching. Hundreds, dozens of people? How, like how many people? How could there be watch? dozens of people? Yeah, dozens. What are you saying? What does my family wasn't watching? I mean, why would there be anyone? I there, mean, literally, no one. I assume you were just watching the game when you weren't doing the updates. Yes, I, I can't commercial. imagine the camera people were even watching. There were no camera people. They were robotic cameras. We, we they were like, there were like, like just four you. people: me, yeah. Rever, and someone in our ear. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. So like, just keep wow. going. What the hell? There's no other sports news. I don't even know what we're doing. We're like doing panels from last night's NBA. You could have literally said anything. Could have said anything. <laughs> I mean, I, I would love to go back and find the tape of those shows. Oh, man. But those are literally, I mean, I've got stories like that. You know, it's, that's what makes you appreciate where you are. You know, it makes you appreciate the things that you get the opportunity to do now. Because I was the one that they put on the TV during the Super Bowl <laughs> and said, here, go update this kid. <laughs> Just sit out there, you and Reverend. Go, go, go sit out there and do this. Um, so that was a funny story. But anyway, the point of the matter is. There's just no conceivable chance that 16 percent of the people in Cincinnati we're watching television and we're watching something else. <laughs> what was the second highest rated show in Cincinnati? Does it say? Uh, I don't have that, but like I, can, I, I can try and find it. Stand by. <laughs> that would be fascinating to me. Like what came yeah, in number I would love two? To know that. What what were what were people who? I mean, honestly, I think it might be the Puppy Bowl. I don't, people do love that. Was that. during the afternoon though. Like we put that on in my house and my yeah, dog. Okay, went but it just nuts. kept going though. It was going the Puppy all, Bowl. It was going yeah. all night. I've never seen the Puppy Steve Bowl. Steve Levy is the commentator for the Puppy Bowl. Was he? Yeah, and like they just. That's but, on during the game. 
Well, it's on before the game, but they must run it on Animal yeah, Planet or whatever. Yeah, it just runs the whole game. Too. Okay. No, I didn't see that. It's, it's, it's a pretty good watch. My dog really enjoyed it. We but, were doing NBA that afternoon, but we were long done. We had Celtics-Hawks, pretty decent game, actually. And we had that on ABC, but that was we were done hours before the Super Bowl kicked off. So I, that, did, that felt like a worthwhile endeavor. I thought, oh, sports fans, they're up there watching TV today. You know, watch a basketball game. That was good. I think we did well that day. But it's, it's a, a markedly different thing. I'll, I've got another story for you. You want another one? Just because we have just a minute left here. So, you know who Jesse Rogers is? You know who Jesse is. Uh, He covers baseball in Chicago. Yeah. So, Jesse and I started uh, at the All Sports Radio Station in Chicago together. We were both behind the scenes. We were both producers. It's the the station. It's still there. It it competes with our station now, ESPN 1000 in Chicago. And we're both behind the scenes people. We're both producers. This is 92. uh, Because that was the year that we launched. On Thanksgiving of that day... When no one wants to work, like while the, at the height of when the football games are on, we're in there working. We're like cut, we're, we're, we're in there like producing the show that is on the talk show that is on up against Cowboys, whoever, you know, on Thanksgiving Day. Like anyone is listening to the radio show right now and the host is going on and on. I won't say his name. I remember who it was, but I, I, don't, I won't say his name, but he's hosting the show and we're not getting any calls. Literally no one has called. The phones are not ringing. So Jesse at this time was dating a woman and he calls her on the phone and he tells her here, he gives her something to say, like a question to ask and puts her on hold. And we tell the host, yeah, we've got a caller, you know, go to this caller. The host is in the middle of like a, a little bit of a thought. He keeps going so long that she gives up and hangs up. And he spent the rest of the show asking her to call back on the air. He'd literally spent the last hour of the show going, Jill, if you're still listening, call us back. <laughs> and she never did. Did Jesse and Jill stick it out? Uh, no, 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 absolutely not. This is a very long time ago. Uh, but but that, the, that's the, you like that, Bobby? You like that no, story? That's a, cl- that's a classic. 100% true story. Wow. 100% ask, if you see Jesse Rogers today, ask him. Wow. I, mean, you, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like. I mean, we, we do it here all the time, working on the holidays. And yeah, You do one of those shows and. You just know, especially right up against the game. Yeah, the Lions are playing and the Cowboys are playing. You just know, especially all the radio stations. They're, if anything, they're taking the play-by-play of the game, right? And and if or they're at home watching the game, it's like, geez, who's yeah. listening to this right so now? So he she, literally he kept her on hold so long she hung up, and he doesn't know that we've put, we've put her up to that. He just thinks this <laughs> is some person who was her name was Jill, and he he, he was. He just thought this was a woman named Jill who was calling to ask a question. We should have Jesse call in sometime to reminisce because, I mean, he's a baseball reporter. He has nothing to cover. He right has now, nothing really. else to do. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's do he it. Has, let's have fun. He's, what does a person do when they're covering a sport that doesn't exist? <laughs> All right, this has been fun. Uh, to the 16% of you in Cincinnati who didn't watch the game, what the heck? That's uh, everybody else. We'll see you tomorrow. ESPN Radio. Thanks for listening to Greeny the Podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at 10 Eastern on ESPN Radio and see it with the video on ESPN+. Also catch Greeny on Get Up weekday mornings at 8 on ESPN and also available wherever you get your podcast.